I would, this is our family's Advent book. How many of you have either the same or similar Advent book or your grandkids or sons and daughters? Yeah, we, this has been part of the fabric of our family for quite a few years. The pages are starting to get worn. The doors, thankfully, are all still intact, but they're getting a little tattered. Over the years, we have had new words introduced into the Advent story, like when the angel appears and says, greetings, earthlings, and smirks and laughter kind of happens around the table or in the bed, wherever we're reading it. The wise men brought gifts of gold, Franco mints, and myrrh. And I love, perhaps most of all, just the competitive fighting that happens on who gets to open which door, and they're all named, by the way, and how many doors someone gets to open. Now, amidst of children almost getting grounded, I find this joy in my heart that it's just pure spiritual fervor that their great Father has instilled upon their lives, and that's why they are so eager to read the Advent story. But for me, this is, I love this time of year because, I don't know, the, the Advent story, the Christmas story is just in me. It spurs me to read it over and over again, and then I find myself kind of going on a Bible reading spree, that I just fall in love with God's Word all over again. And perhaps it's because this story is one of the, the first ones we learn as a child, and we get to hear it every year. The Peanuts Christmas special and other great programs on TV and at the movies call us back to the great themes of the Christmas story. But I love it. And so I would like to invite you, if you would like to read along with me in the Gospel of Matthew, or if you would simply just like to sit back and listen to the Christmas story. We tend to take it in sections, but I would just like to to give it to you all in one shot. You may want to just close your eyes and take it in, but please do not fall asleep. I've got a fragile preaching psyche. But just listen, if you would, to the story. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, or some translations would say a righteous man, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. And he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is this one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw this star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. 
When the king Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. Now remember, the people were waiting for a Messiah, for a king. And here are these, this entourage of people coming to worship this one born king of the Jews. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report back to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph again in a dream in Egypt and said, Get up, take your child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up. He took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, and it was like father, like son, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in, a, warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So it was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the true story of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, I would like to reflect with you or contrast two characters in this story, Herod and Joseph. Because both, both of them have something to challenge us with this morning. First, Herod. As we know, Herod is not a good guy in this story by any means. But let me give you a little background. When Jesus was born, Herod had been ruling for about maybe 40 years. In Caesar's empire, the great plan was to set up kings over territories all throughout the empire. And these kings basically had two jobs. One, collect taxes and send them on the Rome, and two, keep the order, keep the peace, if you will. Rome wanted its due allegiance, right? And it didn't want anyone upsetting the apple cart. 
And Herod, for all of his flaws, and he had many, the one thing he knew how to do was keep the peace. His resume included an impressive um, list of personnel shakeup whenever his control or his kingship was threatened. He murdered one of his wives. He arranged a drowning accident for a brother-in-law. He hired hitmen to strangle two of his sons. Basically, Herod was going to be in control, maintain control, and no, nothing and no one was going to displace him from being king. And the threat of a new king of the Jews being born in his territory was not going to be accepted, and it set off in him a massacre of countless babies and young boys. Now, while the actions of Herod are extreme, and they are extreme, I think we need this part of the story because Herod challenges us in at least a couple ways. First, we know, if we were honest, the potential that lives within us to want to maintain control in some or many areas of our life, and that gets expressed in a variety of ways. I love what James, the brother of Jesus, would later write in the New Testament. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? What, what breaks the, the love and the joy and the peace of the, that these candles represent? James would say it's from your unhealthy desires and wants and entitlements and sense of control. And when we don't get what we want, when we don't get to maintain control, we get a little nasty. That's the Eric Revised Standard paraphrase of that passage. Henry Nouwen, um, great writer and insight into the, the Christian life, writes this. <coughs> he says, the two enemies of the spiritual life are anger and greed. What else is anger than the impulsive response to the experience of being deprived of something? When my sense of self depends on what others say of me, anger is a quite natural reaction to a critical world. And when my sense of self depends on what I can acquire, greed flares up when my desires are frustrated. Thus, greed and anger are brother and sister of a false self, fabricated by the social compulsions of an unredeemed world. Let me ask you an honest question. Do the words of James or the insights of Henry Nouwen or even the example of Herod himself reveal or expose anything in you when it comes to a sense of what you can control and what you hold on to in this world? I only have to back up probably a few hours, not even a day, to say I saw it flare up in myself. This is one of our challenges. Second, Herod is also masterful at faking devotion. Perhaps similar to Herod, I wonder how many times you have mouthed that Jesus is Lord, but felt little obligation to actually align your life to what Jesus said when it comes to loving your enemies, praying for those who are difficult, for how we handle our money and our time, or how we care for the poor. How many times have we attended a worship service and worshiped God, but then didn't even get out of the parking lot before we were fighting or yelling, trying to get home or to lunch or whatever was next on our day? Christmas calls us to true devotion, to a true story. And do we have room to grow or maybe even repent 
when it comes to what we profess versus how we actually live our devotion to this story. No, I don't think it's wise to discard Herod. And I had done that, right? Bad guy, I don't need that part of the story. But I think we need the story of Herod because he intersects our lives far too often. And part of the yes of Christmas is saying yes to confession and repentance and even the surrender of our control and how we have perhaps faked or provided lip service of our devotion to the Lord. But when we do that, when we surrender, when we confess, what we find is the peace of God washes over us, even when it's messy and life is hard. Which brings me to Joseph. We know the story of Joseph, but I want to give you a little background information of him as well, which will help color in perhaps some of the story for you. Joseph is presented to us as a man faithful to the law or a righteous man. In Hebrew, he would have been known as a Sadiq, a Sadiq. And this is a, a great term of honor and reputation. Uh, uh, the, the label Sadiq was given to those who had studied and learned and observed the Torah, the law, scrupulously. In Joseph's world, Joseph's world, that meant that he prayed regular prayers daily, like the Shema that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Joseph followed the food laws. He supported the local synagogue, the Jewish church, if you will. He observed the high holy days in Jerusalem. In Joseph's world, there was no reputation more desirable than Sadiq, unless you were a priest, which was uncommon, or a prophet, which was rare, or perhaps even the Messiah, which was very rare. In other words, Joseph worked at and maintained a reputation that was within his control a reputation that was strong and pure through his strict obedience to what God had commanded. A Sadiq proved his love for God by following and living the Torah. And Joseph did it well. <clears throat> but then we enter into the story and Joseph finds, has a fiancé that now turns up pregnant with a crazy story behind it, which is definitely not kosher. In Joseph's world, Joseph, as a good Sadiq, he can consults the law, the Torah, to see what his options are, because he does want to be as gracious as possible. But remember, as a righteous man, he is called to follow the law. And so he finds himself in this dilemma. Will he love God and do what the law requires of a fiance who shows up, who has an illegitimate pregnancy? Or does he love others? Does he love Mary? And take her in as his wife and make a home for her. But at the same time, lose this identity and reputation he has spent his entire life to build. Joseph finds himself in a struggle that his soon-to-be-born son would pose to all of us. Love God and love others. Do you remember when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? It was a Torah question. It was a Sadiq kind of question that Jesus was being tested on. And this was Jesus' response. He says, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Sound familiar? It was the first prayer a child learned in his home of a faithful 
family, the Shema. Jesus, probably from the time of three, whenever he can memorize it, was saying that prayer every single day of his life. But then he adds to it, which is a little tricky because when God gives the law, he's the only one who can amend or change the law. And Jesus takes upon himself to do just that. He says, and the second is this, meaning equal, meaning alongside with it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything, Jesus says, hangs on those two commands. If you want to truly love God, if you truly want to follow the Torah that I am fulfilling, he goes, you must love God and love others. In other words, Jesus is teaching, and this was an aha for me. When Jesus gives that command, he is speaking right into his family roots. Because even before he was born, because of his birth, his family was torn and, and struggling to learn what it means to truly love God and love others. We need the story of Joseph, I think, for at least three reasons. First, throughout this story, we see the repeated cycle of Joseph hearing from God. Joseph had cultivated a lifestyle of prayer, daily prayer. And I think he learned to hear the voice of God, and not just hear it, but truly listen to what God was saying in his life. The question for me, the question for you is, does part of our Christmas yes this year include a commitment to cultivate a lifestyle of prayer where we learn to hear the Lord's voice in our life and really listen to what he says? We need the story of Joseph as well because he responded to what he heard with action and obedience. Even when the actions would cost him a lifetime reputation, Joseph took faithful action because God was his king and he would ultimately do what he said. Question for us, do we need to say a Christmas yes to be more faithfully obedient to what we already know that we should be doing and commit ourselves with open hands to commit to a life of obedience with whatever God would bring into our life this season or even this next year. Third, we need the story of Joseph because like the wise men, he was committed to going the long road. The long road of not just obedience, but true followership, discipleship. And the result of his commitment was that I believe he experienced a peace that just could not be explained. I mean, imagine a young dad and a young mom, the first couple years that they have this little one, right? And a story that definitely didn't fit the culture of the time, having to travel to a foreign land, which was not a short journey to come back to your own land, but then having to live somewhere else. Can you imagine the turmoil and how hard that would have been? I I can't honestly imagine what that have been like, but I suspect that he and Mary experienced a peace that as the scriptures would say, transcend all understanding. That kind of peace only comes when we commit ourselves to the long road of obedience and acting on what the Lord commands. So the question is, do we need to recommit ourselves to that long road of discipleship, of being a follower of Jesus? One more quote by Henry Nouwen. He says, Somehow I realize that songs... And music and good feelings and beautiful liturgies and nice presents, big dinners and many sweet words do not make Christmas. Christmas is saying yes to something beyond all emotions and feelings. 
Christmas is saying yes to a hope based on God's initiative, which has nothing to do with what I think or feel. Christmas is believing that salvation of the world is God's work, not mine. Things will never look just right. If they did, someone would be lying. But it is into this broken world. A child is born who is called Son of the Most High, Prince of Peace, Savior, and I would add, Lord. What if we said yes to Christmas this year in a fresh way? What if we said yes to loving God and loving others and inviting others onto that kind of journey with us? What if we said yes to Christmas and said yes to being an obedient follower of Jesus Christ, committing our life like Joseph and Mary and even Jesus himself who would pray, my Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And later in his life, pray, my God, not my will, but yours be done. When Christmas becomes our yes, then the peace of God pours itself over us amidst the pain and the messiness and the challenges and the joys of life. And that, my friends, is very good news and a very good story. Would you pray with me? Father, we stand in awe of your love and grace. God, we thank you for this true story that has been in our life for years and years and years. God, open our hearts in a fresh way to your word. God, grow our devotion. God, call us to confession and repentance where we need, but God, may we commit to you our lives to hear from you and to be obedient to what you say, we pray. In the name of Christ Jesus, God taking on flesh. Amen.